discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. He says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything he is, that is why he told Abraham, he said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boateng as Christ is magnified in you. Hallelujah. Are you excited to be in the house of the Lord? Then give the Lord a shout. Hallelujah. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord, isn't it? So it's always exciting to be in the house of the Lord. The house of God is a place full of liberty and a place full of joy. Yes, whenever you are going to the house of God or going to any place connected to God in the scriptures, the Bible always talks about how that they were going up, up. You see, we go up into the house of the Lord. Yes. So as you are, as you are, you are in church now, you have come up. You have been elevated in a higher, to a higher dimension, to the glory of God. Hallelujah. Do you believe it? What you believe is what happens for you. Yes. What you believe. If you believe in God and his word and believe in what his word says, it works for you. Say, I've gone up. I've gotten higher. Yes, to the glory of God. Say, um, my marriage will work. Or my marriage is working. Yeah. Say, I will marry. If you're already married, don't say something. Say, I will marry. If you're already married, say, I'm enjoying my marriage. Say, I'll have many children. As many as I, I wish. To the glory of God. Do you like children or you don't like children? And say my children will be correct. They'll be full of wisdom. They'll be full of the Holy Ghost. They'll be full of love. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Say my wedding will be beautiful. Oh yes. My wedding will be exciting. It will be full of many colors. To the glory of God. Today we are going to have a question and answer session. I know I've been sharing with you. Yes. I've been sharing on you on Jesus Christ our um what well, the present day ministry of jesus isn't it yeah. has it been blessing you yeah. but today as i was when i was preparing um some few hours ago i've been praying for some time but then some few hours ago god spoke to me to change it to some to allow us to ask questions hallelujah so if there's any question in your heart this is your opportunity to ask your question and to receive an answer any question at all from grabbing to do you know grabbing I'm not talking about grabbing a saucepan or a pillow. No, I'm talking about grabbing a human being. Hey! Yes, I'm talking about relationships. From relationships all the way to the born again experience. You are at liberty to ask. <laughs> to raptures. Yes, whatever it is that is on your heart, you are, you are at liberty to ask. Yes, okay, there's a question here. Beautiful. What's your question? What's on your heart? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Daddy. You're welcome. I would like to know if, if a person is not a Christian, is not able to understand or experience the realities of Christ on earth. 
if when they go to heaven, they will have the opportunity to experience those things. So like, let's say somebody is not able to really fall in love with Jesus and walk with him and have close fellowship with him on earth. If that Christian goes to heaven, would they be able to, to increase or to that level where it's like they know Jesus and they love him and you know, they are tight with him? Is it possible? Hallelujah. I think it's a good question, isn't it? Did you hear the question? Okay, now the answer is in Matthew chapter 25 from verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. All of us are married to um, one bridegroom or one husband. Whether you are male or female, Christ is married to all of us. Or he wants to marry all of us. Yes, there's a wedding that is pending. All your church coming and your life as a Christian is to prepare for a particular wedding, your wedding. Second Corinthians chapter 11, <laughs> verse 2. Paul says, For I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I've espoused you to one husband. He was talking about the, to the Corinthian church, the whole church. He says that I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I've espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So Paul says he was going to present the church in, in Corinth as a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. So Jesus is our husband. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So there's a day when Christ is going to present us to himself as his bride. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. All these scriptures are in the Bible. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. Go to verse 7. This is also powerful. This is where the bride follows. It let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. Have you seen it? Who is the lamb? The lamb is Jesus Christ. There's a marriage that Jesus Christ is going to have, and he's going to have it with us, Christians. Okay? When you, when you get born again, you are actually in preparation for your marriage to Christ. So our Christian walk is a walk of preparation to marry Christ on that day when the Lord comes for us. All Jewish brides are stolen. So the church will also be raptured to be stolen from this world. Jesus will come for the church for the purpose of marriage. And there's going to be a marriage supper. So this is the marriage of the lamb. Then there's a supper or the reception. Look at the next verse. The reception is in the next verse. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine lining, clean and white. For the fine lining is the righteousness or the righteous works of saints, of the saints. Verse, verse uh, 9. And he, that, and he said to me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb. So there's a marriage and then there's a marriage supper or a reception. I see it. Now, like I said, all of us are to be presented as a chaste virgin to Jesus for his marriage. And Jesus wants a chaste virgin. He doesn't want, I mean, how many of you want to marry a bride that does not have teeth? Or a bride that is full of wrinkles? You don't like? 
You want a bride who is fresh. Fresh face. Makeup. Proper. Not the makeup that will change the person completely and you wonder who is your Mario. Not that type. <laughs> you want fresh bride. So Christ also wants a fresh bride. That's why he says he's presenting, that he's working on the church to present it to himself. A, a, a church, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You understand? So in Matthew 25, what we're reading, Jesus is the one who gave this parable. It was a, it was a statement that Jesus, a, a, a story Jesus told. It was a parable concerning how things were going to be. Okay? So if you read once again, it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened. Whenever the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven, it's talking about the church. There's a kingdom of God and then there's a kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is the broader spectrum of all that contain, all that God has created and all that God has control over, which is the whole of the universe, including what we see and don't see. Okay, so the kingdom of heaven includes the seven, the, the uh, 24 elders, the four living creatures, the angels, everything you can think about is, invo- is, is contained in the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of God, that's the part of the kingdom of, kingdom of God that involves human beings. Okay, and Jesus is the one who came to start it. Jesus came to start the kingdom of heaven to include men into the kingdom of God because Adam's sin took men out of the kingdom of God. Please, do you understand? Or you don't understand. I'm using an opportunity to answer a lot of questions that may come up. Okay? So Jesus is talking about how the church is or how the church would be like. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. Who are the virgins? Those he's going to marry. Which took their lambs and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Who is the bridegroom? Jesus is the bridegroom. I just showed it to you. Next verse. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. So all the people, the, what, what you just described... Okay, it's something the Bible has spoken about. They are foolish virgins. They are Christians who are not interested in getting to know Jesus here on earth. They are not. We can preach. We can teach. We can somersault. We can do everything. They can hear things, but they don't care. Ask your neighbor, how are you? Or rather, what are you? Foolish virgin or wise virgin? It's a choice. Tell everybody, it's a choice. You can choose to be a wise virgin. Or you can choose to be a foolish virgin. Na choice. Na choice. He says, and five of them were wise and five were foolish. Next verse, verse 3. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. No oil. They weren't interested. The oil represents a lot of things in the Bible. Oil represents the spirit, mainly the spirit. Oil represents the anointing, which is the spirit, mainly. Do you see? Oil also represents your, your works, what the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and with your life. Okay? Every single thing we are doing, you see, this church that is here, is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not the work of a human being. I can't do this. I'm not smart in the natural. I'm not. I know how, much I, how good I was in school. Or you don't know how good you were in school. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you read in John chapter 15, look at John 15 verse 26. John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, that is the Holy Spirit, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. The Holy Spirit is the number one testifier of Jesus. He's the number one person who talks about Jesus. Look at the next verse. Then he says, and so, and ye also shall bear witness, or ye also shall be witnesses of me. So the primary person who bears witness of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to, do, to bear witness concerning Jesus, 
and work on the church and build the church. It's the Holy Spirit's ministry. Every person who is involved in building the church is building the church because of the workings of the Holy Spirit in the person. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 and verse 21. It says, and are built, all of us are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Next verse. It says, in whom in Christ, all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord. The bride of Christ is also described as a building. Okay? There are two ways of describing the bride of Christ. The first way is as a virgin, a chaste virgin, that is being prepared to be married to Christ. The church is also a building that is being put together by the Holy Spirit that becomes the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is actually, what's the new Jerusalem, which is the temple of God, is actually us, is human beings, is God's children. So sometimes the Bible describes us as buildings. It's also, it also describes us as trees, plantings of the Lord. And it also describes us as chaste virgins. So all these are descriptions of the same, um, the same thing, which is the church. Okay? So Paul is describing the church in, this, in these verses as a building. He says, In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Next verse. In whom ye also are builded together. All of us are builded together. We start out as stones. Okay? We are born again as stones in the kingdom of God. That must be converted into buildings. That must be converted into the new Jerusalem. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter 2, 5. Go to First Peter 2, 5. It says, ye also as lively stones or living stones. So we are living stones. The Bible describes as, as stones. Are built up a spiritual house. Every living stone must be built up to become a spiritual house. Okay? He's describing your, your spiritual growth. Your growth in Christ. And he's using terms, building terms. He says we start out as stones and we are built up to become temples. It's the same thing he's saying in Ephesians. So go back to Ephesians 2.21 where we're reading. He says in verse 21, In whom all the building fitly, fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Then he says, In whom ye also, you everyone, are builded together for an habitation of God. How? How are we built together for an habitation of God? How do you become a habitation for, for God? Who is the one involved in your build-up, your Christian build-up, your Christian maturity? Through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who is involved. So when we talk about oil in Matthew chapter 25, we are talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you and with you as a child of God. Please, you understand? Because your, your spirituality is as a result of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I can give you so many scriptures about it. All that Paul did, he attributed to the grace of God and the working of the Spirit of God in him. Not because he was a very wild guy. You are not lasting because you are some wild guy. No. It's the Holy Spirit who is working in you to not last. So when someone is lasting, it means that the Holy Spirit must work in him some more. Do you understand? The person needs to pay, or rather, the person needs to pay attention to the workings of the Holy Spirit inside him. He's either ignoring the Holy Spirit or not minding the Holy Spirit. Do you see? Colossians chapter 1. Let me show you that our Christian maturity is as a result of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't be a Christian. It's not, there's no Christian life without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not going to work. You need serious attention for someone called the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you another comforter. Who is the Holy Spirit? Okay? So a Christian who is not fellowshipping with the Lord, loving the Lord, and all, it's, 
not minding the promptings of the Holy Spirit in his life. Basically, that's what it is. So he, he has the lamp, but he doesn't have oil. Colossians 1.29. Let's, let me read from verse 28 to 29 so it, it makes more sense. This is Paul talking. Paul says, I preach Christ, Christ whom he preached, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Okay, he's also talking about presenting, presenting us to Christ perfect. That's the wedding day we will be presenting people. We will be presenting people to be married to Christ. As a child of God, you have to present some people. It's part of your Christian duty to present some people to God in heaven who as, your, as the people you raised in the Lord. Oh, yes. Everybody is supposed to present somebody. So it says, Christ whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, so that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Look at the next verse. Whereunto, unto this particular thing that I'm, this ministry, I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. He says, I strive. I, I strive to do what God wants me to do, not on my own terms or in my own strength, but I do so according to his superhuman energy, which he so mightily and killed those in me. That's the Amplified. Look at the Amplified. For this I labor unto weariness, striving with all the superhuman energy which he so mightily enkindles and works within me. I'm just saying all these things to let you understand what the oil is. The oil is the anointing, is a spirit, is a work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life and with a Christian. Please, you get it. So these people did not take extra oil. They didn't, they didn't have more. They, didn't, they, just, they were just coasting. They that were foolish took their lambs and took no oil with them. Next verse. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lambs. So they had oil both in their vessels, in vessels and also in their lambs. Do you see? Next verse. While the bridegroom tarried, look at our Lord Jesus Christ. He has not come since. Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. What a quickly is that? This was many years ago. This is around AD 70 when God said, when Jesus appeared to John the Revelator in Revelation chapter 22 12. And behold, I come quickly. This is Jesus talking. He says, Behold, I come quickly. What type of quickly is this? And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I'll give everybody according as his work shall be. There are Christians who are even complaining about this quickly because Jesus, since someone said, If Jesus was coming on a wheelbarrow, he would have arrived by now. We have waited that he's not coming. You see, that thought is also in the Bible. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Verse 2. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Verse 3. And through conversion shall they, they, they with fain words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingered not, and their damnation slumbered not. Go to chapter 3. It says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days coffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, this is what they'll be saying, where is the promise of Jesus' coming? Are you seeing it? Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep or died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Are you seeing it? Like, where is Jesus? Jesus is coming. He's not his sins. He's not come. They are, you are in the Bible. Right there. Look at the next verse. Verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of. It says, those who talk like that are willingly ignorant of something. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old. There was a, there was a heaven that was of old and an earth that was of old, which was destroyed with water. 
He's not talking about Noah's own. Look at this. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, next verse, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. There was a world that existed way before what we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything God creates is nice and beautiful. Very, there's nothing that God creates that is nasty. Everything God creates is nice and beautiful. Verse 2 says, And the earth was without form and void. The word was there is to become. The earth became, not the heavens, the earth became without form and void. So the earth was destroyed. Something happened for the earth to be destroyed. What was that? It says, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The word deep is ambusos. You shouldn't be ignorant. Some things have happened. The earth we are sitting on now, eh, according to chemistry, carbon dating, is millions of years. Billions, rather. Over, over 5 billion, about 5.9 billion years old. Is it true? Sorry, 4.6 billion years old. That's how old this earth is. But the first man who, who the, the first man that was on earth was brought on earth 6,000 years ago, just 6,000 years ago. So what happened in the five points, what, four points, whatever, whatever billion years? There are dinosaur bones that have been found here who are older than man. Some are 24 million years, 65 million years. How did they get there? There was a world before this one that we are standing on is or came. And it's in the Bible. The Bible shows us. That's what I'm trying to tell you in these verses. Okay? God created a nice heaven and a nice earth with many nice things inside. Something happened and it was destroyed with water. So if you, this is the ice age. If you've heard of ice age before, this is the ice age in verse 2. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. If there's darkness on the, on the face of the deep, that is ice. There's no sun. There's no light. There's no heat. So everything was cold. Do you see? And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters because that world was destroyed with water. So in verse 9 of this, this part of the Bible, Genesis 1-9, when God was creating, God did not create another earth. It's the same old earth he called out of the water. So it says, and God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together at one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. He called the dry land to appear out of the waters. And the dry land, next verse. And he called the dry land earth. So the one we are working on now is the same one that God created in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. That was destroyed. Or that was rather submerged in the water. And God called it back up. And called it earth once again. So what we see in Genesis 1 from verse 3 is actually a refurbishment. It's not creation. It's refurbishment. God created everything in Genesis 1 1. Genesis 1 3 down is refurbishment. So Paul is saying that all those who talk like that are ignorant of the fact that something like this has happened. There was a world that was destroyed with water. And the world we are now standing on is also going to be destroyed with fire. It says, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, that's what I'm describing to you. This is the world where, the world where Lucifer was principal and all of that. Because if you read the Bible, you don't see where Satan came from. He was created by God at a certain time and had control over this earth and certain things. And he fooled around and that word was judged. It's all in the Bible. You see some in Jeremiah, Ezekiel. This is not the time or the place for it. 
whereby the water then was being overflowed with water perished. Next verse, verse 7. Then it says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, the ones we are seeing now, the heavens we are seeing and the earth we are seeing now, by the same word of God are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the, judge, the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. There's a day coming when God is going to destroy everything. This time around with fire, not with water. The world that then was was destroyed with water. This world that now is will be destroyed with fire. Okay? And these are all temporary judgments. There's a major judgment that is coming that has the lake of fire as the means of judgment. It's not water. It's not fire. It's a mixture of the two. Lake of fire. Water of fire. Hey! Mm. So, Jesus said he's coming, and he's really coming. He's coming for his church. He will come. You'll be shocked that one of these days will just come for his church. And he's going, yes, and he's going to come for those who are ready. He's coming for his group, his bride, that is ready to marry him. His bride that is ready to meet him. And that's what is in Matthew chapter 25. So Jesus will be coming for Christians who are ready. And Christians who have been fellowshipping with him. And Christians who have been walking with him. The rest may be left behind. <laughs> it says, while the bridegroom tarried, he tarried for a long time. They all slumbered and slept. And when, they, when he says they all slumbered and slept, he's talking about how that they all died. Do you see? Your death does not change your state when you were here on earth. Your spiritual state does not change after your death. Where your spiritual maturity got to when you died is where it will be when you, when you rise from the dead. Or if you died as an immature uh, Christian, that is how you are, that is how, this is going to be your eternal state. How many of you would have loved to have been born in Canada or in America? I mean, be honest. I mean, we're in a place where dollar is not working. I mean, dollar CD is not working. Wouldn't you have loved to be in America? If there's anything like reincarnation, which, which is nothing, there's none. If you are coming back into the world and you hear, Pian, chim, 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 will you come? You will hold, you will hold yourself inside. It's this language, I know, I know I'm coming to. You may commit suicide inside the womb. You may hang the umbilical cord around your, your neck and then jump out and break your neck. No be so. But when you hear push, 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 it's like, hey, it can be anywhere. God, God, God have mercy. Maybe Sierra Leone, they can, they, or Liberia. They also say push in a, in a nicer way. You never know. You didn't determine who your parents were going to be. You didn't determine where you were going to live in this world. Yes. God predestinated you and put you here. But he put you here to give you an opportunity to choose where you will be in eternity. So eternity is up to you. How you live your life today determines how eternity is going to be for you. So your work with the Lord here on earth is what will determine how your work with him there in heaven will be like. So all those who didn't like the Lord or know the Lord or didn't prefer the Lord whilst we're here on earth as children of God, you are born again, but you are not interested. I can tell you that in heaven you will not be interested in Jesus Christ as well. Yes. That is why there are many levels in heaven. Heaven is not... It's when, we say, when you say, the person has gone to heaven, it's just a generic statement. Because heaven is very big. It's like saying the person is in Ghana. You have come to Ghana. You are welcome. Which part of Ghana are you? There's Accra. There's Tamale. There's Savannah. 
region. They are all there. Isn't it? Apart from all these places, there's Jirapa. Apart from all these places, there's also areas in the Ghana. No? The Ghana that we are in, no? there are areas. If you come to Accra, for you can say, I'm in Accra. The question is, where in Accra are you? Where in Accra are you? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I mean, the location of the, the, the place where you are determines what kind of a house, probable house you are living in. And what kind of a, 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 a hall you may have. And what kind of, whether you are using water closet or something else. Or, in this Accra in which we live, some people, excuse me to say, poo-poo on the poo outside. On the floor. They do, what's it called? <laughs> Wrap and throw. Free range. They are also in Accra. Is it not true? In the same way, heaven also has areas. Heaven also has areas. Heaven has seats. There are seats in heaven. There are thrones that we must sit on. Everyone sitting here has a throne that you are supposed to sit on. God has destined a throne for you in heaven to rule and reign with him. The question is, will you sit on it or will you not sit on it? It's dependent on how you fellowship with the Lord and how you live with the Lord and how you, how you allow him to work through you to do what he called you here on earth for, to fulfill your purpose, your actual reason. It's not because of wig that you are in, in this world. What is wig? Or makeup or marriage. Marriage is powerful, but that's not, the, that's not the reason why you are here. In heaven, we neither marry nor are given in marriage. It's not important. As much as you cross this place, it's not important at all. When you die, it's finished. It's gone. Marriage is important. That's why you should be careful who you marry. Because who you marry can either make you fall in love with the Lord more or not fall in love with the Lord more. Oh, yes. If you read in the Bible, you will see places called outer darkness. Which is, is in heaven. Outer darkness is not outside of heaven. It's in heaven. There are places in heaven called outer darkness where the glory of God is very small. They are on the fringes of heaven. God is in the center of heaven with the sun. And people sit, we have thrones around, all around in the center. And then there, there's outside, outside, outside. Isn't this? Is there Matthew chapter 22, verse 13. Then said the king to the servants, this is, a, this is a, a servant who decided to come to the wedding. This was also a wedding. He decided to come to the wedding or the dinner that the Lord had prepared with the wrong dress, because there's a dress for your wedding. And the dress is what we spoke about. I mentioned it briefly, but I didn't talk about it. In Revelation chapter, chapter 19, verse 8. Let us be glad. Uh, and to hear, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine lining. The attire for the wedding is fine lining. The attire for the wedding that God is preparing for his son Jesus Christ, that you are the bride. The attire that the bride is supposed to wear is fine lining, clean and white. For the fine lining is the righteousnesses or the righteous works of saints. So your righteous, how you live for the Lord, the way you behave, when someone does not like you, how you, you respond to the person. Do you see? Yes, someone hates you. You know the person hates you, but then you love the person anyways. The person that's not what to talk to, but then you relate anyways. You don't say, yes, yeah, you are not talking to you. I'm not talking to you again. You're actually working your, your garment of righteousness. Your, your ministry, all those who clean the place, clean the church, made the church work for you to come and come and sit, are working 
righteous works into their garments. The fine lining is, yes, they are, they are sewing their dress. That's what you are doing. The, all those who are singing in the choir, they are, they are working, so they don't know. What, they may not even know what they are doing, but they are actually working into their garments. They are working, they are putting, their, your garment is the righteousness, is your righteousnesses. It's not, this is not right, the righteousness of God. This is righteous works. The righteous works of the saints. It's not the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is the righteousness of saints. Please, you understand? Uh, there are different garments you are given when you get born again. The first garment is the garment of salvation. You are given a garment of salvation, which is the garment of righteousness. Okay, which is your initial dress. After, that, after you are given that, you are given another garment called the garment of praise. Apart from the garment of praise, there's the garment of righteousness, righteous works, which is your wedding dress. And if you are not wearing your wedding dress, the Bible describes you as naked. Some people will be found naked on the wedding day. It says, behold, I come as a thief. This is Jesus talking. He says, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments. Which garment is that? The garment, your wedding garment, which is the righteous works of the saints. Eh? Behold, I come quick as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So all those people who are like that are going to be, they are, they are going to be walking naked in heaven. And everybody will see their shame because your righteous, your garment, your, your wedding dress is a compendium of your works here on earth. That is your glory. That's the garment of glory that you will wear in the heavenlies. That's what you'll be wearing. So if you are not wearing some, we see that you, when you were on earth, you didn't like Jesus at all. All you did was to get born again. When we say come to church, you don't mind. You don't care. You don't, you don't mind. You are into doing all kinds of things. You were given the opportunity to serve God. You didn't mind. You chose to be fooling around. You chose to be uh, uh, boozing. Who does? Everybody wants to booze some. But there's a, there's, when, you, when you decide not to booze, you, get, you work righteous works in your, in your, in your garments. Every sin, you see, when you sin and you, you confess the sin, God forgives you. Jesus, it's, it's written in the Bible. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. First John chapter 1 verse 9. It's the truth. The only problem is that the sin that you committed was an opportunity for you not to commit. You had an opportunity to not commit the sin or to commit the sin. And you chose to commit the sin. When you chose to commit the sin, you worked something into your garment. It's called wood, hay, and stubble. You sowed something into your garment. You sowed wood. Or you sowed hay. Or you sowed stubble. If you decide not to do it, you have actually sowed gold, silver, or precious stones into your garment. All our garments will pass through fire. Ish. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, 1 Corinthians 3, 12, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work, next verse, every man's work, it's your work, your work for the Lord. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, which day? The day of the Lord, the day of the wedding shall declare it because it shall be reviewed. Your work shall be reviewed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Next verse. If any man's work abide, which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If the, you go through the fire, so th this is the fire. Let me tell you about the fire that God is going to use. The fire is Jesus' eyes. So Jesus' eyes are the fire that will try all of our works. Okay? That's in Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. When John saw Jesus, he, this is how Jesus was looking. He says, Jesus' head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. Then he says, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. So Jesus' eyes today is flame of fire. The flame of fire is for our judgment. Every Christian will be judged. There are different kinds of judgment. A Christian is not judged to go to the lake of fire. 
A Christian is judged for his rewards and his qualification for the wedding. That's why Christians are judged. You are going to be judged to check if you have more oil, if your garment is not is on, if everything that you need for your wedding, if you have the, you have the invitation. The wedding has an invitation card. It's a, it's a white stone. It's in Revelation chapter 3. It's a white stone that is an invitation for the wedding. Hey! So Jesus will sit, will sit on his throne. It's called the Bima. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. He will sit on a throne called the Bima. The Bima seat. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The word seat there is Bima. It means one foot space. Only one person can be there. You can't be there with your beloved. You can't be there with your brother. You can't be there with your sister. You can't be there with your husband. You can't be there with anybody. Only you can, will be there. So you'll be standing there like this. And the Lord will be sitting in front of you. Looking at your eyes. Eyeball to eyeball. And his eyes will be judging you. His eyes will be judging you. Whether you loved him as much as he loved you. How did he love us? He loved us to the point that he gave his life for us. So he'll be sitting down checking your eyes. And you'll be asking him, did you learn to love? Did you learn to love me while you're here on earth? Did you learn to love your brethren while you're here on earth? Did you learn to love me enough to, to do what I wanted you to do? And you, his eyes will be checking you. You see how, it's, how difficult it is to keep eye contact with somebody. It's so difficult. The Lord will be watching you, looking into your eyes. And you'll also be looking into his eyes. Like that. And he'll be judging you. Of what? Judging you of your works. What you did for him. Did you learn to love me? Look at how much I love. I loved you to the point that I died for you. What did you do for me? I loved you. I died for you. What did you also do for me? Did you ignore my love for you because of that booze or because of that weed? There are Christians who are smoking all over the place. They are born again. They are born again. Just that they have made a choice to be foolish. It's a choice. They have made a choice. They know what is going on, but they have made a Don't worry. You will receive your just reward. He says, behold, I come quickly. Go back to that place, Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward, this is Jesus, it's my reward. I'm coming with my reward. I'm coming with my reward for those who live for me. My reward, I come with my, my, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. To give every man according as his work shall be. He's always mentioning work, 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 work. What you do for the Lord, what you did in his house, what you lived your life for. Did you live your life for me or you lived for yourself? Next verse. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And the, the first and the last. Verse 14. Blessed are they that do this, this his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. It starts from verse 10. It says, And he said to me, seal not, the, seal not the sins of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Then he says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. This is Jesus' advice. When he finished talking everything, he says, Don't seal the book. Let everybody know what is coming. Then he says, he that is unjust, the one who has decided that he will fool around and not live in the righteousness of God, let him continue. Let him keep going. Keep still being unjust. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me. Have you seen it? So he says, you continue doing whatever you want to do. But I'll come. Don't worry, I'm coming. And I'll reward you. I'll give you your exact reward. If you want to be filthy, continue being filthy. If you want to be just, continue being just. If you want to be holy, continue being holy. Because all that you require to live in the holiness and in the righteousness of God has been given. God has given it. Just understand the word of God that you are being taught and use it. Stop denying the Lord and stop behaving like you are a child. Hmm. Because how you live, this world is a probation. God is checking if you love him enough to be with him forever. 
That's what God is checking. He's checking to see if you love him and you like him. And whether he can work with you. There's a world that is to come. Another world is coming. It's called the new world. It's coming. That's in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven. And I saw a new earth. There's a new heaven coming. There's a new earth coming. It says, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. This heaven and this earth will pass away. And there was no more sea. The sea we see, the sea we are seeing today is actually the judgment of the old world. The one I was describing for you. Remember, God caused the waters to go to one side and he called the sea. Isn't it? And the land, he told it to come out of the water and he called it earth. So the sea we are seeing is actually a reminder of the judgment of the world of old. And there are things in that sea. That is why it is salty. There are things in there that are being preserved. When they talk about mami water, it is true. It's not a joke. There are demons in there, demon spirits in there that have been bound. They are not allowed to come on earth. But they find human beings that they can come through. They find human beings they can. That allow them to come and have dealings with them. It's true. There are things inside. You'll be, you, all those who live at the seashore, they know what I'm talking about. Things come out. Someone was going to pray. He was praying at the seashore and fell asleep. When he opened his eyes, he saw a high street from the sea. Coming, this is Accra, Collegono. High street, main road coming from the sea into the main road, uh, the beach road. When he woke up, that was what he saw. And people were moving from the sea in, into the world, into the earth. And people from the earth also going. Yes, there are, there are things in the sea. And their final judgment will come the day God sits on the white throne. There's, a, there's a, another judgment called the white throne judgment, where God will sit on a white throne. Ours is Bima. Bima sits. The judgment of the whole world is on a white Jesus, God will sit on a white throne. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. Go to 11. 20, 11. Hey. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Next verse. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Next verse. And the sea gave up the dead. The sea what? So the sea has dead. The dead. He's not talking about human beings who died in the sea, giving up the dead. Because you see it in the, in the verses that follow there. The rest of the sentence says, And the sea gave up the dead. That's the first group. They are the ones who were judged with the old judgment. The sea will give up the dead that are in it. Which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. If someone, gets, if someone dies and was not born again as a human being, where does he go to? He goes to hell. If he died in the sea, where will he go, where will he go to? He will not stay in the sea. He will go to hell. So he's not talking about people who died in the sea. He's talking about the content of the beings and the creatures that are in the sea, who will be given up for their judgment? Do you see? So in the new world, the sea would have fulfilled this purpose. The sea that we see today is there to reserve the demon spirits and those things that were judged of the old world. So after the sea has given up the dead, the sea has no reason to be around anymore. So the new world has no more sea. That's what I just showed you in Revelation chapter 21 verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Then it says, and there was no more sea. Why? Because the sea has done its purpose. So there wouldn't be any sea in the, in the new world. There will be a lake of fire in the new world, which will be the sea of that time. Because that lake of fire will have the judgment of all who are judged at the white throne judgment are put into a place called the lake of fire. And death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Verse 15. 
and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the lake of fire is a, is a final judgment place. And it will be dead. So there will be a lake of fire that we can have a look at every time. Which will remind us of what has happened. It is all in the Bible. Everything. Read your Bible, you will see it. Stop saying Revelations is too scary. It's not. Everything is in there. So brothers and sisters, you have an opportunity today. It's up to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. He says, we as workers together with God, beseech you that you don't receive the grace of God in vain. Next verse. For he said, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored or helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It is now. It's not tomorrow. Now is the day. It is now. This is the time to be accepted before God. This is the time that God is ready to help you to live for him. This is the time. After this one, there's, not, there's no improvement anywhere else. Do you understand? Yes. So all Christians who don't live for the Lord will miss the marriage and they will miss the marriage supper. And they'll be thought to go and they'll be, they'll be told to go and buy from the sands of, of oil. That's it. Back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 25 where we started. What you don't learn here on earth, you can't learn the same way in heaven. It's different. You see. But the wise answered, saying, not so. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. This is the day of resurrection. Next verse, verse 7. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lambs. This is actually the resurrection. Okay, there's a day coming. Resurrection is different from resuscitation. Before Jesus died and rose from the dead, people had died and had been brought back from the dead. Elijah brought someone from the, from the dead. He brought the widow's son from the dead. But he died again. Isn't it? The boy died again later in his life. He grew up and died. He's not alive to date, is he? Elisha also did the same. But the, that widow's son is also dead. Long time. Jesus brought people from the dead. Lazarus, the widow of Nain's son, he brought people from the dead. But they all died again. But when Jesus came from the dead, he didn't die again. And Jesus came from the dead and has stayed alive to date. Jesus is alive to, to date. Showing himself to, to many people in different places. And also in our hearts. Okay? There's a day coming when every Christian will rise from the dead. Now, you ask a question. So where, where do Christians go when they die? If you're a Christian and you die, you go to heaven. If you're a, a non-Christian and you die, you go to hell. That's it. So there are two kinds of resurrection. There's a resurrection of the just, which are Christians, and there's a resurrection of the unjust, who are unbelievers. Are you in the church? Yeah. These are the, this, is the two, this is the two types of resurrection. In the resurrection of the just, there are different class, classes or different degrees or different glories in the resurrection of... What I just mentioned is you can see some in John chapter, John chapter 5, yeah, verse 29. It says, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. The resurrection of the just is also called the resurrection of life and then the resurrection of the unjust is also called the resurrection of damnation. Romans chapter 2 has so many of them there. Okay? When we rise from the dead, 
the, we will come back into the same body. This body you are sitting inside right now is the same body you will come into, but glorified. That is what the Bible tells you not to mess up with your body. That's what the Bible tells you that fornication is what messes up your body. So you should be careful of fornication. Our generation does not care about fornication. Because, you see, because the devil, that's one of the major things the devil uses to deny Christians of having a glorified, proper glorified body. Because he knows how important it is. That is why all the commands of God is like, that one is the most difficult to keep. Because of what it is. Hallelujah. Okay, so in the, in the resurrection, there are different categories, like I said. There's one that has the glory of the sun. There are some that will be, have the glory of the stars. Some will have the glory of the moon. Even the stars have different glories. That's in 1 Corinthians 15. There are, different, there are differences. Depending on what you did here on earth, you, your glory will be high or low. That's all I've spoken about. Okay? Depending on how you live for the Lord, your, the glory that you reproduce will be high or low. Do you understand? So the basic thing is this. This is the opportunity you have to love God, to serve God, to follow him, to listen to him, to live for him, to what? To walk with him, to dance with him. This is it. It's a practice. It's a probationary period. This is the exams to see if you will pass, to have that in eternity with him and to know where you will be in eternity. Don't joke with it. You get it? Don't joke with it. We are not here to eat food and live in nice houses and die and go. It's more than that. It's probation. They are checking you. When you are, when you are being employed, they give you six months probation to check if you'll be able to do the work. Then six months is not compared to the 30 years that you're working for the company. It's different. So in, in, in this side of the part of the world, we are just being, it's a very short time that you are being checked to see if you will do what you are supposed to do in eternity, basically. So, Charlie, work with God. Let's love the Lord. There's no opportunity anywhere again. Yes. Yes. They are told to go, go and buy from the sons of oil. That's the, the other, the wise virgins told them, we will not give you our oil. We can't share our oil with you. I can't share my work with you. That's what he's trying to say. I can't share my work with you. My work for the Lord is different from your work for the Lord. Do yours as I do mine. Do you understand? Fulfill your ministry as I fulfill mine. My, even, especially married people. Fulfill yours, let me fulfill mine. My work is not my wife's work. Her work is not my work. But then we share, we share in certain aspects of the work. Two are better than one, and they have a reward for their labor. Do you get it? So a married couple can have a reward. They can have similar reward. Because my wife allows me to do what I'm doing. If she prevents me, I can't do what I'm doing. I travel a lot. If my wife says that, you are leaving me, I don't know why you are leaving me, I'm always moving around, I'm in trouble. That church over there that we have planted will not have me visiting it for 25 years. Because of, you are leaving me, it's finished. Come and lie down, lie by me. It's finished. That church is not, it's not going to work. But if she allows me to go, she has allowed me. So whatever I go and do there will be credited to her account. Because two, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. So every wife who prevents their husband from doing the work of the Lord, we are, we are all losing. We will lie in bed and be happy. I love you. There's nothing wrong with having good time. We'll travel every now and then go and have a good time. But don't expect me to be there 24 hours a day. And I'm passing my hand through your hair. I love you. 
I declare my love 75 times in a day. I love you. know I love you. I don't know. I don't know what I'll do without you. 70, why? Jesus' work is there to be done. It must work. Yes. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 and verse 20. Eh? But I trust in the Lord to send Timothy shortly after unto you, that I also may, have, may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Jesus has things that must be taken care of. And he's expecting you and I to take care of the things that belong to him. And not seek our own. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. He wants his things to be taken care of. He wants people to be saved. And he wants them to be raised for him. Who is going to save them? You and I. Who is going to raise them? You and I. There are people out there who are waiting for us to come to them and get them born again and raise them for the Lord. And help them in all their stubbornness to change them and renew their minds from what it is now to becoming the mind of Christ. That's it. That's what we are called for. You do it, you, are get, you get a reward. You don't do it, you also get a reward. Hallelujah. Thank you, Daddy, for this opportunity. I want to ask to help us to clarify something in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But I'm having a little challenge with the verse 11 and verse 15. To clarify us. something that's what? 1 Corinthians 7. Yeah. From verse 10. Verse, verse 10. But verse 11 and verse 15, I have a little bit challenge. When but I'm and in. if she departs, Okay, let's read from verse 10, right? Yeah. So let's read the whole thing. What do you want clarified? Because verse 11 says, But if she departs, let her remain unmarried. And yes. I want to ask, how then they will help the person, or how can we help someone to remain unmarried? And what about the other partner, if they are not in the same congregation? How is it going to be? And verse 15, it says, But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. And the brother or sister is not under bondage. Which bondage are they talking about? Hallelujah. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, this is a marriage question. Eh? All right. In marriage, there's something called separation and there's something called divorce. They are not the same. A couple can be married but separated. And a couple can divorce, which means that they are no more together. Jesus says that divorce is not right. So when you're marrying, think twice before you marry. Because God does not like divorce. Matthew chapter 19 is all there. Okay? Yes. Look at Matthew 19. Let's read from verse 5. Go to verse 3 so that this is, Jesus has already started talking. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? They were asking, Can you, can you sack your wife for any reason? Your wife didn't cook the food. You are out. Your time is finished. Your wife didn't give you water to bath. It's finished. I'm, I'm leaving you. Jesus answered them and said to them. And he said, answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife? And they twain or they two shall be one flesh. Marriage makes you one flesh. It's not a joke. You are one what? Flesh. flesh. You are not one spirit, but you are one flesh. Okay? Can you cut your flesh? Can you cut your hand away on your own? You need a surgeon to do it. You can't do it yourself. Your wife is like a hand or your legs. If you are telling her you are not marrying her again, you are actually severing a part of you. Be there. Verse 7. Eh? Um, go, go, back, go back to verse 6, please. Wherefore they are no more twin, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Verse 7. 
They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement? Why did Moses talk about divorce and to put her away? Look at the answer of Jesus. He said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart. Moses did not bring divorce because God told him to bring divorce. It's because of the hardness of your hearts. More hard during the door. You worry mind too much. He said, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you or allowed you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Because he made them male and female. That's it. Do you understand? So divorce is out of the way. But in a marriage, you can have some things going on. Sometimes you have someone has beaten somebody in a marriage. We are all married. When I was sweeping, I swept your, on your leg. Hey, Obaya, what was that? Pa, 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 some blows happened. And the wife came to the father. Hey, my husband has beaten me. Okay, I don't want to go to his beating. This is the seventh time he has beaten me. I'm afraid that he's going to kill me. The Bible recommends that you stay separated from the person. And that's what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter, um, chapter 7, verse 11. Okay? Go to verse 10. Go to verse 10. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. He says, it's not I who is the Lord who is saying this. Let not the wife depart from her husband. That is, don't divorce. Next verse. Then he says, but and if she departs, that is separation. If she should leave because of one thing or the other, let her remain unmarried. So separation means that you are not going to marry somebody else. You are separated until the problem is solved and then you come back together. But and if she departs, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. That's divorce right there. So as a husband, you can't put away your wife. As a wife, you can't leave your husband. If something should happen, stay away. But be reconciled. He, he recommends that you come back together. I don't know if you get it. So he's talking about separation. Now, let's go to verse 12. So it makes more sense before we get to verse 15, what you're talking about. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any, any brother has a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him. Let's say the person is born again. I'm born again. My wife is not born again. You see, my wife is, 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 doesn't know the Lord. Now I know that we got married when we didn't know the Lord. And now I know the Lord. I have gotten married. I have gotten to get born again. But my, my wife is not. He says, to the rest be kind, I know the Lord. If any brother has a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased. If my wife is okay to live with me, let him not put her away. I can't put her away. Because I've become a Christian and the person is not a Christian. It's like, I'm speaking to the person's complaining, so I should leave the person. No. Says, be there. You chose, so be there. Be blessed. If she's ready to be with you, enjoy yourselves. If she's complaining about tongue speaking, when you are speaking, build another house outside the house. When you want to speak in tongues, you go there, air conditioned, soundproof. And then you come back, baby, I love you. <laughs> and then you continue your life. Okay? Next verse, verse 13. And the woman which has an husband that believed not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. So you can't leave, you're also there. Next verse. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. He says the unbelieving husband is preserved, is declared holy because you are holy, because you are one flesh with the person. Do you get it? That person can become, but when he saves one, he saves the whole household. That person can become born again very quickly because you are born again. When they look at your chaste life, First Peter chapter 3, verse 1. He's using your marriage as a means of bringing your husband and your wife to him. 
Likewise, you have been in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, if any is not born again, they also may without the word be won by the conversation or the life of the wives. When they behold, next verse, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, then he goes on and on and on and to tell you what, what a wife should do, what a wife should do to be able to win the husband to the Lord with a good life, a good Christian life. You can win your husband to the Lord very easily. As a husband, you can win your wife to the Lord very easily with a good Christian life. So he says, don't put them away. You can't. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. He says, it affects even your children. Your children are declared clean. They can. You see, God is looking for something called a godly seed. When a Christian, two Christians marry and they give birth, that child is a godly seed. That child is a seed that can be used by God very easily because they are coming from a Christian home. That's what God wants, actually. So he says, your children are also clean. They can also be used by the Lord. Now, verse 15. But, and, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. So I'm born again. My wife says, why are you born again? I don't like that. I want us to be unbelievers and chill and do this, 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 this. No, I'm not into that anymore. I'm a child of God. I chill clean, in a clean way. You see, Christianity does not mean that you don't enjoy yourself. Jesus said, I'm come that you may have life and have it to the full. John 10, 10. I make, that's amplified, eh? Look at the amplified. The thief coming not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came that they may, they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. God wants you to enjoy yourself. You can wear your wig and wear, do your lipo lipo and do your face. There's nothing wrong. Some people say that's from mammy water. I don't know which mammy water you're talking about, but it's here. We are enjoying it. Be blessed. Oh, you don't understand what I'm trying to say. Look nice. Don't look like a crazy person. Do you understand? Yes. Look in a way that will attract others to the Lord, basically. Okay? The fact that a Christian does not mean that you can't go to a hotel and go and, and, go and enjoy yourself and eat in a restaurant. There's nothing wrong. You can go and go and eat in a restaurant. You can go and spend a night with your wife in the, in the, in the hotel. There's nothing wrong. How does that spoil anything? Does that make you unchristian? Mm-hmm. So, please. Okay? So, go back to that place where we're reading. It says, but, but if the unbelieving hand, the wife says, I, I, I want to do this and I, I, I can't do that. And she decides that I'm leaving you. I'm leaving. It says, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage. That is marital bondage. Marriage is a covenant. It's a partnership. It's a contract. And also, what is it? What was the last one? Marriage is a contract because when you marry, you sign. They, they put date there. You sign government documents, which is a contract between you and your wife with the timeline. You can't just break it just like that. It's a contract you have signed. I'm going to the end of the time. If you want to break it, you need to go back there to go and go and break it. Go and annul the contract. So it's a contract. It's also a covenant because blood is shed. If the person is a virgin, you sleep, you sleep with the person. Blood is shed. Yes. The fluids that come is, is blood. It's, there's blood inside. That's why when you have sex with just anybody, you are in covenant with so many people. You are in covenant here, 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 in covenant here. And that explains why sometimes you'll be there. You are not thinking about sex, but then it's like all of a sudden, mm, it's like feeling starts moving. One of the people you slept with many years ago is sleeping with somebody. So he's sleeping, your flesh is there. Hey! Mm. 
I pray that the Lord will, will, will help you and break that covenant that you have with people. The blood of Jesus can cleanse you completely. Yes. So you, you just plead the blood. Lord, whatever covenant I form with others, I'm in a higher covenant with you. Thank you, Father, that you will leave me of all these other covenants in Jesus' name. I remember the covenant with Joe, 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 Joe Laka. I remember the other covenant with Joe, John Doe. I remember, oh, Lord, cancel all of that for me in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't come and ask me a question. Pastor, so if you have covenant with what, what do you do? I just showed you. I just showed you, okay? So he says that a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. He says, don't worry, let the person go. If the person wants to leave, the person can go. Doesn't mean, have I explained it to you? Please, I'm asking if in the case, so, so far she's not no more, you know. He, the person has left. So can the brother or the sister? Of course, you can remarry. Okay, thank you. Definitely. Because the person has left. You can remarry. Can you answer a big book on it? Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. So there's remarriage. You can remarry. Yes. The unbelieving husband has left. Does not want you in his life. I don't want you. He has gone to the court. He has dissolved it. Yes. You are not under any bondage. That's what he's trying to say. You are not under any compulsion to keep. Ah, the person has left. What, what should we do? If you want to remarry. I'm not. Don't. You see, the person leaves tomorrow. You marry. There's a, there's a problem. There's what? That's a problem. You don't just fall in love. Have you ever seen someone whose wife has died and he's not married? He's not remarried. He's just there. It's not a joke to be, be, have a wife who you are not come to learn everything again. You are come to learn how she is, how this. It's a, a long journey. That's why some wives, when, they, when their husbands are, they are there. They are tired of having sex with, I mean, it's too much. Let's just be there and be happy. It's, it's only young people. Marriage is for young people. Normally, it's for young people. It's young people whose blood are boiling you. You want to marry, get it, get it. You want to put yourself under bondage quickly. <laughs> you understand? Uh -huh. it's, it's like that. But, I mean, if you are not married to and also fully having sex over the place, you too, you have a problem. The Lord is watching you. You are in covenant with many people you don't even know. So, you are not under bondage. You can remarry through the guidance of your pastor. Your pastor will have to guide you. You can't come. I mean, pastoral ministry is very important in helping understand some of these things in the Bible and helping implement them. You can't implement the scriptures all by yourself on your own in a corner. This is what the Bible says, so this is what I'm going to do. No, it doesn't work like that. Especially when it comes to relationships and those things. You need guidance from a shepherd, from a pastor to help you do the right thing and not make silly mistakes. That can bring you more problems. In Jesus' name. Amen. Any other question? Yes. Can a Christian marry a Muslim? Can a Christian marry a Muslim? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Hey. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? You are light. He's darkness. What are you talking about? Oh, pastor, he's very lovely. Oh. He really cares. Oh. He's really sexy. You should see the way he says, I love you. I love you. Pastor, it's his voice that really kills me. It's not a small thing. I really love him. Please, let me do this. It's not only Muslims. Anybody who is not a believer, you can't marry that person. Oh, yes. Genesis. It was Genesis. It's in Genesis. Genesis chapter... Genesis 22. When... Abraham was looking for a wife for 
his son Isaac, he told his servant to not take a wife from the land of Canaan. The Canaan is the world. Don't take a wife from the world. Go to my family house. Go here and go and take a wife. So we are told where to get wives and where to get husbands. It's not today. It's part of the Abrahamic covenant because marriage, Genesis what? 24, 3. Marriage is a means of procuring the Abrahamic blessings into your life. Eh? He says, I'll make you swear that you will not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. You are not supposed to take a wife from here. Go to my father's house and go and bring me a wife. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son. He told him where to go. When you, run, when you rush all the way to Genesis 28, 6, this time Isaac was, was fed up. And Isaac blessed Jacob. This is from verse 1. Let's read from it. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. So Isaac too is telling his son, who are in, all these people are in covenant with God. He says, don't take a wife from the land of Canaan. Why? Canaan represents the world. Everybody else, Muslim, Buddha, Buddhist, Shintoist, Baha'i, atheists, sh- traditionalists, Shintologists, what? Non religious, agnostic, Epicurean, Stoic, everybody else. Don't take a wife from there. Go to the next verse. Arise, go to Padaram, to the house of Bethel, my mother's, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. Next verse. And God Almighty bless thee. Look at this. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of Abraham. Why? Because you are going to marry where I want you to marry. Eh? To thee and to thy seed with thee that thou mayest inherit the land where thou art a stranger which God gave unto Abraham. This is after uh, um, Jacob has stolen the Abrahamic blessings from Esau. This is after that. So he didn't need to steal it. He just needed to marry in the right place to have the Abrahamic blessing. Yes. He didn't need to steal it. Esau missed it because Esau, Esau's problem started with his marriage. Chapter 26, 34. He married from the land of Canaan. He married the sons of... Uh, and Esau was 40 years old when he took a wife to, uh, to wife Judith, the daughter of Berai the Hittite, and Bashemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. Next, they were all Canaanites, eh? which were grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. They were grief of mind. Next verse. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so he called Esau, blah, 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 blah. So he missed it by the wife that he chose, the wives he chose. If you go down, you will see, um, this is chapter 27, if you go down, you will see Rebekah saying that the daughters of Heth are a headache for me. Jacob must not choose from here. 27:46. And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do to me? So God tells us where to choose from. He tells us to choose. What's a problem? You see, every marriage has a problem. Or you don't know. Every marriage has what? It starts out with a problem. You have two individuals from different homes coming to come and form an, a new home. There's always, there are storms, spikes at different times. When you marry someone who's a child of God, your problems reduce from four baskets to one basket. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? When you marry a non-believer, your problem moves from one basket to four or more baskets. You have plenty problems. You can't agree on a lot of things. How can two work together except they be agreed? Trust issues. Unstrained. Your spouse will not be restrained. You, you treasure your, your body. You don't want anybody to sleep with you apart from your husband. Your husband does not treasure your body. It's free range. How can I be a husband to only you? People must enjoy me. I must be enjoyed. That's what he believes. So he says, I must have branches all over. You see that he'll bring you HIV or bring you some other things. And then that's it. You're having different problems. Yes. One lady called me and said, listen, I'm even shy to move around in the area. Because my husband is sleeping with, he's sleeping with one of the girls who sells tomatoes in the area. I mean, someone was going, he's sleeping with someone who's going to, tomato, I mean, and he said, I, I always pass there to work. When I'm wondering what they are thinking about me when I'm passing by. Because he's not sleeping with his wife, he's sleeping with a tomato seller who has two children. That's where his feelings have gone in the last three months. My wife knows what I'm talking about. In the last three months, that's where the guy's feelings have gone to. Yes. <laughs> he's loving the world. How can I be for one person? No. I'm a man. You see, have you seen a goat having sex with only one female goat? No, it's everywhere. I'm the seed of Abraham. I must distribute my seed. I multiply. I must multiply and fill the earth in fulfillment of God's divine mandate. You see that you're a lady, you are, you are stuck. You can't, you can't do much. Yes. And then before long, you are also cheating and doing all kinds of things. Or you are into prayer camp every time. Lord, change my husband. Lord, change my husband. Lord, change my husband. And it's not changing because those prayers are not answered. Those prayers are answered by you choosing the way God wants you to choose. As simple as that. God does not change husbands. He does not what? He, changed people. he changes people who are not born again. It doesn't change your husband. He changes people who are not born again. Do you understand? He changes unbelievers. It's not your special prayer for your husband that will make some, some things change. You there, don't choose right. Be there. Yes. Since you're already on this topic, I'd want to... Since what? You're already on this marriage. Okay. Yeah. I'm not married. I'm unmarried. Yeah, yeah. And then I want to ask, mm -hmm. as young Christians, yeah. right, uh -huh, young like us, is it right or is it healthy to be in a relationship when you are not ready for marriage? That's the first question. No, it's not right. <laughs> okay, Answer. thank you. I'll give you the reason when you finish the second okay. question. Then I, I want to ask. Do not put a coal of fire. Who can put a coal of fire in his bosom and expect not to be burnt? No, your blood is boiling. Oh, your blood is not boiling. That's what I'm saying. Your blood is boiling. There's fire in your bones. Fire! Oh, there's no fire in your bones. There's fire. There's fire in your bones. How can you put a coal? It's never a prayer chapter 6 verse 27. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? What are you talking about? It will burn you. So you are not ready for marriage. You are not trying to marry in the next two years or one year or whatever. And you are in a relationship. You want to marry six years from now. Every day you keep saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. I don't know what I'll do. Three night calls, baby. Are you there? I'm here. I don't Before long, the talking is not doing much. When you meet each other, come, come. Ah, how are you? It's good to see you. You know I like you very much. I like you too. I like you too. Before long, you are pressing it. You are pressing it. Before long. Because there's, not, there's nothing else to do. 
there's nothing. The next thing to do is to explore the body. That's what that's the it's part of show you must show working. You are you are not ready to marry. You only show working in marriage. Now that you are not married, it's taking so long. What are you going to do? You have taken coals of fire and you have put it inside your bosom like this. Ah, fire is nice. It will burn you. Before long, you are pregnant. Before long, you are doing abortion. And then you come back. Oh, I'm sorry for what happened. I don't know what he says. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Do I have any children? They will come. Okay. Then you go again. Then you are pregnant again. I know someone who did an abortion for one person four times. Wow. Four. One, two, three, four times for one person. The person didn't marry her. No, no, no. She didn't marry her. She didn't marry her. Yes. You have wasted children. They are waiting for you in heaven. When you arrive, they will say, Mama, come, we have a conference. Because children, all children, all aborted children are alive. They are still there waiting for you. They are growing up in heaven. There are many children in heaven. They are, they are, they are waiting for you. When you come, they will have a question. So, I mean, what happened? Look at your life, the way you live. <laughs> so, you don't want to complicate your life. Before long, you have access to so many people. Now, you, have, you know how different private parts taste like. Have you seen your face? It's like you don't want to, you don't want to say what I'm saying. You have, you have a consciousness of different sizes. You marry your husband's pee-pee is like this. You see it to you, it's like, are you, what is happening? Are you doing anything? You cannot be satisfied because you have exposed yourself to so many things. You have, you have too much experience. He's not doing the zigzag style. Zigzag. He's not doing it. He's not doing the Tai Chi style. So it's like you are not feeling anything. When he finishes, when you then you jump the wall. Your house boy will be sleeping with you. Yes, yes, yes. Their wives whose husband, their, their husbands are the ones sleeping with them. Yes. Watchman, he's the one servicing the place. Yes, because the thing is like this. Don't behave like what I'm saying. You don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, my friend, the things you say in your house. Don't come and look at me like that. Uh, oh, you're asking a question. <laughs> what is the next question? Sorry. Okay, yes. so you said no. Yes. What if you're already in a relationship? Should you go and break up with a person? This is a pastoral question. I can't say yes or no. <laughs> okay. No, it's a pastor. Okay. That's why I spoke about pastors. You must have a pastor who you talk okay. to about these things. You need a pastor in your life from the day you get born again to the day you leave this earth. To help you with wisdom. I'll give you pastors after my own heart. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 15. I'll give you pastors according to my heart. God gives you pastors. Which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. They feed you with knowledge. And also feed you with understanding. To have understanding concerning what to do at various times. You need it. So I can't give you an answer and say. Go and break up with him. I'm in trouble. Maybe the guy is an animal. But come and beat me. I don't know. I don't know. Uh He come and kidnap me. I don't know. So I can't say yes or no. Maybe he's watching me and say hey. This man, this man is in trouble. No, so that one is private. You get it? Yes. Back to the final question. Okay. I want hey. to, it's not about relationship, please. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I want to ask mm-hmm. how do you, um, um, should I say, uh, realize the real purpose of God in your life as in, in the ministry, your work, home, how, as a Christian, how do you hear from God and you know that this is God speaking to me? Thank you. God has a language, eh? God has a language he speaks. 
You see, I'm speaking a language that exists, that is understood by people. But if your mind is not trained to understand, <laughs> my wife can't speak, guys. <laughs> if if she can speak small, small. If your mind is not trained to hear God's voice, okay, God will be talking clearly, but you can't hear. Mm-hmm. It's all over in the Bible. Acts chapter 9, from verse 5, you see it. I mean, this gentleman is journeying on his way. He, this is Saul of Tarsus, who later on became Paul. He sees a bright light shining. He falls down. Uh, I think it's from verse 3. You see it. While he's journeying, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? So he heard a voice. The voice was actually speaking in the Hebrew tongue. If you read in other, there are other verse, there are other parts. There's one in uh, uh, Acts chapter 26. There's one in Acts chapter 22. It gives you, it puts when you read all of them, it puts the pieces together. Jesus appeared to him, was speaking in the vo- in the Hebrew tongue. But the people, who, and he was talking to Saul of Tarsus. The people who were walking with Saul saw the light. They heard the sound. They heard sounds, but they could not hear the voice. They could not hear the content of what was being said. Okay? And the men, this is verse 7, and the men who journeyed with, with, with him stood speechless, hearing a voice and seeing no man. They were hearing the sound. It's actually the sound. They were hearing the sound. The other ones in. They, but they didn't hear the content of what was being said. Look at this one. It says, and they that were with me saw in me the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spoke to me. Have you seen it? So Paul is trying to say they didn't hear the content of what was being said to me. They heard the sound, but they didn't hear the... It was God was speaking, Jesus was speaking, but it was a sound. John chapter 12. Look at John 12. Let's read verse 24. John 12, 24. Very, very same to all you. 25. Go to verse 25 now. He that loveth his life shall lose it. Next verse, verse 26. If any man serve me, if any man... Blah, blah. Next verse, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. This is Jesus talking. He is having a meeting and he's talking. He says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into this world, into this hour. Next verse. Father, glorify thy name. Glorify thy name. This is Jesus talking. He, told, he said to the Father, Father, glorify your name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. A voice came saying, I have both glorified it. And glorify it again. God spoke. Next verse. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. They only heard it as a thunder. Why? Their minds are not trained to hear the voice of God. They said it thundered. Bruash, bruash, bruash. Hey, what was that? Others said an angel spoke to him. Because they, they, they noticed that something supernatural had happened. But they didn't get the content of what was said. So you need to be trained to hear the language of God. What, is the la- what language does God speak in? He speaks in the language of his word. Read Bible. The Bible is the means by which God speaks to us. The word of God is the means. God will not speak outside of his word. The word of God is what is the language that God speaks in. You must train your mind to understand God's word. 
If your mind is not trained, God will be speaking in power. You don't know that God is speaking to you. You open your Bible, you see something. You don't know that God is telling you that this is what you are supposed to do with your life. I don't know if you get it. So the word of God is a means, is the path, light to our path, and lamp unto our feet. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That is what lights up your life and shows you what to do. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. If you follow him, who is the word, if you allow the word of God to come to you, like I'm telling you now, it will guide you. You reach, how do I know what I'm, what I'm, how do I know to be a pastor? It came through the word. As I read the word, the Holy Spirit quickened the word of God to me and showed me what I'm supposed to do. So the word of God and the spirit of God are the main, are the main ways by which you hear what God, or you know what God wants you to do. There are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. A prophet can come and tell you this is what you're supposed to do, but you need to know it for yourself. Because if you don't, if you don't know it for yourself, it's not going to work. So you need the word, you need to understand the word, you need to know what the word says, okay? You need to learn how to hear the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit confirms things for you from within. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit leads you. Go to verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness with you. He bears, he bears witness with the word of God that what, is being, what you are reading is what God wants you to hear and what God wants you to do. <clears throat> Please do you understand. So the word and the spirit is what you need to help you know what you should do with your life. Yes. You ask the Holy Spirit to help you and he will help you. Please do you understand. Right. Apart from these two beautiful um, things I've spoken about, or persons I've spoken about, because the word is a person, the Holy Spirit is a person. The other person you are supposed to, that will help you and guide you, is your pastor. Your pastor will let you, help you know if this is the voice of God or not the voice of God. First Samuel chapter 2. Samuel was hearing from God, but God was speaking in the voice of his pastor, Eli. Don't criticize pastors. Only if you don't have one, you criticize if you have one, you can't criticize. Yes. There are a lot of churches that don't have, they are, they are not pastored. They are not shepherds. That's why the world is how it is. They are in church, but they are not being. Is it, is it first Samuel 3? It's first Samuel 3, not 2. First Samuel 3. God was talking to Samuel, but he was using the voice of Eli, Eli's voice. And Samuel went to Eli three, two times. Hmm? God called him. And then, then uh, the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down again. Then Samuel, Eli noticed that God was calling Samuel. Samuel did not know the voice of God at that time. And God was depending on Eli to teach Samuel how to respond to him. So God depends on your pastor to teach you how to respond to him. So you need to always confirm with your pastor as to whether what you are hearing is really from God. Because you will say that God says I should, I should marry this person. And your pastor will sit you down. Yes. And then we'll check to see if what you are hearing is actually from God. You see, if God says I should marry this one. The first thing is that the Bible says that he that findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. So God is not going to tell you, he'll help you find. Ish. Your pastor will show you that 
your emotions are talking. This thing that you're saying is from somewhere. You see? So that's, that's the third leg of these um, how to know what you're supposed to do, who you're supposed to marry, what your calling is. Everything that you need to know is in the word, in the spirit, and in the voice of your pastor or your shepherd. Have I answered you? Beautiful. Thank you, Daddy, for the opportunity. Thank you. Please, I want to ask whether um, bad dreams are from God. Bad dreams? Yes. Hey, are from God. You said bad. And you're asking if it's from God. Which bad dream did you have? Please, someone ask me. That's how much. Someone asked you. I don't know how to ask anybody to help me answer that question. I'm wondering how I should answer it. Yes, because if we know what type of a dream it is, because God can be warning you in exactly. a dream. God can be warning you. Is it? God can be warning you. Rapture has come. Based on your your preference. Exactly. Is it bad, is it bad based, based on, on your preference, or it is bad because it's from the devil? You see, when you say a bad dream. Um, maybe someone cut you with a cutlass in their dream. That one is not from God. You woke up, the cutlass mark is there. It's, ah, it's a demonic experience. It's a demonic experience. You need help. But you had you had a dream. Everybody, has, Jesus has come. has left, and you are here. God, it's God. It's, it's a bad dream. Because God, God is telling you, Charlie. Sorry, um, I don't know if it's a contribution or um, a follow-up question. Um, I think. So when you asked the question, what came to mind was um, the saying. I don't know if it's biblical even that um, God reveals to redeem. It's not in the Bible. Uh-huh. It's people who are, who are saying it. Have you seen it in the Bible before? God reveals to redeem. God uses dreams, actually. As God uses dreams. But dreams can be tampered with by so many things, including what you ate. And the Bible says it. In the multitude of business, a dream cometh. Uh-huh. But dreams is a major way that God communicates to his children. That your, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. So there are dreams. There's, there are prophetic dreams that the Lord gives to you. You get it? Uh-huh. But the primary way God guides us is through his spirit and his word, which is the inward witness. And that's the, that's the main thing. A dream will come to you when maybe the Lord is not getting attention. Then the Lord will come in a dream to you. Yes. Sometimes in the night vision, you'll be there. As you just lie down two minutes and then God shows you something. Yes. For a dream coming through the multitude of business and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. So a dream can... Um, have, can, be, or can be altered. Uh, so don't base all your life on dreams. There are books on dreams. If you see blue, it means this. If you see green, it means this. If you see a snake, if you see a snake, it means this. If you see... The, it's not true, brother. There's, no, there's nothing like that. If you dream and you wake up and you don't understand the dream immediately, Charlie, forget it. Forget, 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 forget it. Yes. Thank you very much, Daddy. Um, it's a follow-up question based on the marriage. So I believed that a Christian cannot remarry. If your husband leaves you or your wife leaves you, that's it. You can't remarry till you die. But then from that scripture, you explain that you are, you are not under bondage in that situation. Yeah, the person, the unbelieving, listen, it's an unbelieving husband who has left you. Mm-hmm. A believing husband is not supposed to leave you. Do you understand? A believing husband, the problem, we can solve it. Are you a believer? 
there's no problem that is so high that you can leave your, you are leaving. Why are you going? You are, you married, you be there. You feel the, the vows are, what if he leaves? He's not supposed to leave. If he leaves, what about uh-huh. example, for instance, the person has deserted you and gone to America and you've not heard from him in 10 years or something. You've not, you've not heard from him in 10 in years? 10 years, he's gone to America. Look for him. Well, um, under such circumstances, 10 years without any communication, you chased him or you chased her and you're getting no result, then I think um, Pastor Rush will come in. Exactly. So. Beautiful. So you and your pastors will determine whether you can remarry. But one of the things, as your pastor, I'll tell you, chase him small. Let's chase him for two. Go and look for him. <laughs> Contribution. What about what? Mental illness. Your husband has developed mental. <laughs> it's a pastoral answer. We'll give it to you. When, when that comes, we'll give it to you. Yes. You have a question? Yes, please. Uh... Pastor, um, I wasn't here when the marriage talk was going on. I just got in here. Okay. And, and this, this question, this is a different question, not about the marriage. Okay. I heard some guys talking about an issue, and which from that day I was thinking about it. It's not about marriage. They were saying that uh, prayer, talking about prayers, that the prayers may be we did yesterday. And we did today, and uh, we'll be doing tomorrow. All the answers are in the Bible. And I was like, ah. in fact, and they couldn't tell me much. So uh, I just got here and I was like, I want to ask this question also, if I can get something out of it. Wow. Yeah. If all the answers were in the Bible, God, Jesus would have told us to ask. Jesus told us to ask. Okay, there's a truism to it, but it's not completely true. Uh-huh. There are things we pray about that actually God has said something about already in his, in his word. It's, it's, it's true, but it is not entirely true. The other side is real. God told us to pray because he's a, praying, a prayer answering God and he expects us to pray. He expects us to communicate with him. Prayer is not, it's, if you think prayer is asking only, you, you may have a problem. Prayer is also communication. It's primarily communication between you and God. It's a means of sustaining a relationship. If you are married and you're not talking to your wife for two years, I mean, very soon go to the pastor, isn't it? It's not going to work. So God also expects us to talk to him. Prayer is talking to God, not necessarily asking. Because most of the things we ask in prayer have the answers already in the, in the, in the, in the Bible. Because God has made provisions for those things already and shows us what to do to have provision, our provisions met. So that, that is on that side. But then on the other side, God tells us to pray. We are told to pray. God, I mean, it's all about ask. Pray. First, look at First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. Let's read verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. You see, if we ask anything according to his will, what was he talking about? He's talking about asking God according to his will of asking, which is asking the Father in the name of Jesus. Do you see? Next verse. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desire of him. So we have, to, we have to ask. Apart from that, there's prayer. There are different kinds of prayers. There's prayer of uh, thanksgiving, prayer of intercession, prayer of commitment, prayer of what? 
faith, prayer of agreement. There are different kinds of prayers. If you go to a, if you go to a, a first Timothy two one, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications. You see, he's telling you, I am I'm exhorting you to that first of all supplications. Supplications is a type of prayer. It's a prayer for children of God. You supplicate for other Christians. You intercede for unbelievers. So there are different kinds of prayers. I don't know which one we're talking about. Okay? So he says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, which is prayer. Then he says prayers, which is also prayer. Intercessions, which is also prayer. And giving of thanks, which is also prayer, be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So he's expecting us to pray. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Look at Ephesians 6, 18. Praying always with all prayer. Paul is saying, he says, pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching down to, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So we are told to pray so many times. Pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse, uh, is it verse 13? 17. Pray without ceasing. Can you imagine? Pray without ceasing. Amazing. Luke 18, 1. And he spoke a problem to them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. This is Jesus talking. He says every, we should pray all the time and not faint. So he said we are expected to pray. So that statement is not entirely true. There's a, there are some prayers that we shouldn't pray. Maybe let me, let me give you an example. For instance, you are praying, Lord, bless me. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Bless me. Malagabayaba. Bless me. Bless me. Bless me. Bless me. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God has blessed us. So maybe this what some of these things. God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So you should rather thank him. You pray, but the prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you for your blessings that are working on my life. I'm blessed in my going out. I'm blessed in my coming in. I'm blessed whatever, in whatever I do. In the name of the Lord Jesus. That is how you pray the blessings. Do you get it? Uh-huh. So there are some technicalities here and there. There's a prayer of agreements. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. So Jesus is talking about us agreeing in prayer. There's prayer of agreement. You pray, you agree, and he says it to be done for you. So prayer is recommended. You have to pray. And we pray. You can pray. Short prayers. Long prayers, mid-long mid prayers, very long prayers. I mean, prayer is primarily communication with God. And if you love God, you talk to him for a long time. The one you love, you have free night calls with. All night is a free night call with Jesus Christ. When you have an all night with the Lord, in, in a group or on a personal level, you are having an all night, free all night call with God. You are just fellowshipping with the Lord. And it is recommended. Without that... Prayer is a place where God's life is imparted to you more and more. It's a place where your eyes can open to see what God wants you to see. Without prayer, you can't see what God wants you to see. Without, without prayer, you can't have transformation. Trans, it's called transfigurations. Transfigurations happens to you in prayer. Matthew 17, 1. And after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them up into a high mountain apart. What were they going to do? They were going to pray. There's a version of it in Luke that says he took them high up in the mountain. To go and check. Look for it for me. And they went up to go and pray. And whilst he prayed, he was transfigured before them. So prayer is a place of transfiguration. Half of your transfiguration as a child of God, or your transformation as a child of God, or the renewal of your mind as a child of God is done through the word. And the other half is done through prayer. 
Christians who don't like praying don't have their minds renewed properly. And Christians who don't like reading the word also don't have their minds renewed properly. There are Christians who like praying, they don't like reading the word. So they have half. And there are Christians who like reading the word, they don't like praying. They too, they have half. One half comes, one half of your, your transformation. Look at it. And it came to pass, this is Luke 9, 28. And it came to pass and about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. Next verse. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. He, he was changed as he prayed. Mark 9, 2. Mark 9, 2. And after six days, Jesus said with him, Peter, mountain, apart, as he, and he was transfigured before them. He was changed. So your change as a child of God happens in prayer. How can you have ministrations from angels if you are not praying? Jesus, before, before his, the cross, going to the cross, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed. Whilst he prayed, the Bible says that angels showed up and they ministered to him and strengthened him. You will not receive strength without prayer. Christians who don't like praying are the ones who are very weak. Anything can happen to them. Yes. You must be into prayer. Men ought always to pray and not faint. Just pray. Keep praying. Okay? The other half is through the word. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How? Through the word of God. I've answered you. Okay. All right. Thanks for the opportunity, yeah. Pastor. I really like this session. I think it's very innovative and up to task. Wow. I, I have a biblical dilemma that I could use your experience. Okay. You know, in linguistical studies, we confirm the fact that language changes over time. For example, there is a, a communication between Samson and Delilah in Isaiah, and he was telling her that when they tie me with seven tongues, then I will be weak. But in it's modern... In judges. It's in Judges. Not judges, in in modern language, if you say seven tons, you're probably talking about a clothing. So this has drastically metamorphosed. There's a word like salt, which actually was S-A-L, sal, which was salt given to soldiers after war. Now it has been metamorphosed to salary. So my point is, we have languages changing over time. I'm wondering time. where I'm getting these things from, because... From studies. From linguistics. Okay. Yes. Okay. We have languages changing over time, and God's word is not supposed to change. Yeah. So how, one, does these changes in language affect the veracity of the message in any way? Because the original word for virgin actually meant someone who is unmarried, if you trace the root cause. So when you say Virgin Mary... That time, it means Mary is unmarried or he, she has never laid with a woman. Both are true. With a man. Yes. Yeah. But now, virgin means one thing. If you what are unmarried, it, mean? it means you have not laid with any man. It doesn't necessarily mean you are not married. This has changed over time. So, how does this affect God's message that is not supposed to change? And as vessels of the word, how do we keep ourselves in a way to send the actual message out so that God's word is not threatened. Thank you. Beautiful. Pastor Sandra, you have met your meter, innit? <laughs> All right. So God, in his own infinite wisdom, amazingly, 
chose to um, bring Jesus into this world. It's called the end of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, verse 11. It, it, they call it the end of the world. It says, now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. But the world has not ended. Yet he said, the ends of the world are come. Do you get it? Now, Jesus was born, look at what time he was born. He was born A.D. 1. That was, that was when he was born. The turn of, an, of a major calendar from B.C. to A.D. Anno Domini. I mean, look at the time he was born. And he was born in the, in the, in the, uh, uh, in the Roman Empire time. In the times of the Roman Empire. Okay? Now, the Romans didn't speak Greek, did they? They spoke Latin. But the most popular language, you see, Alexander the Great conquered the world not only through his might, his military might, he also conquered the world in terms of language. So even though the Roman Empire had taken over the, the Grecian Empire and was ruling the world, the, the language, the, Greek, the Grecian language was higher. You see, it was more prevalent in the Roman Empire, both the Eastern and the Western Empire. Do you see? Uh-huh. Now, God intentionally chose for Jesus to come at that time. Okay? So that the word, his, his, because of the, how powerful the language, that Grecian language was, in order for things to be written in that particular language, there's Aramaic, okay? And then there's a the Grecian language. So it was actually written, the Aramaic language was more popular at that time. And then the Grecian language was also more popular at that time. Okay, which we have documents to. I mean, Greek, the Grecian language has continued up to date. And the, the word of God was written in Greek, in Greek, not in English. Do you see? Uh -huh. In Aramaic and Greek. I, I want to get it right. So that's, uh -huh. And then the Old Testament was also written in a particular language, Hebrew. Which has also, they say God, Hebrew is God's original language. Because whenever God shows up, he speaks in Hebrew. It's amazing. When he spoke to Paul, he spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue. It's, it's there, clear. He spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue. So some people say that the Hebrew tongue is the original language. It's a language that uh, was divided into many pieces. That's what some people say. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. That's what some people say. So God intentionally chose to have the Old Testament written in the Hebrew language and the New Testament to be written in the Grecian language or Aramaic language so that we can have access to those, the meanings. Last week I was talking about how that the, the Greek is has about over 20, has about 20,000 or more words. And the English language has just about 5,000. So the Grecian language is richer, far richer, and we have access to it so that the interpretation does not change. So you should know some Greek as a, as a child of God. <clears throat> as time goes on, you should know it. You should have understanding concerning some of the things. For instance, there are, there are things in the Bible that um, were written, they are actually um, idioms that are in the Bible. They are Grecian idioms or Hebrew. They, they call them Hebraisms. Okay? Or, uh, for instance, Jesus said that it is how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's as, it's, uh, it is easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle. That he was not talking about a camel going through a, needle, a, a needle's eye. Like a small, how can a camel go through a needle's eye? And he says that that one is easier than, it was a Hebraism. Do you see? Jesus was talking about a small gate that was at the entrance of Jerusalem. There was a big gate at the entrance of Jerusalem. It was every, almost all those cities were walled. And you go through the walls of the city or go to the gates of the city to enter the city. So Jerusalem was walled and had a huge gate. 
which was open during the day for people to come in and go out, for goods to come in and go out. But if you came at a certain time, you came, I think, beyond 7 p.m. or so, the big gate, the bigger gate was closed for security purposes. And the smaller gate was open for human beings to pass through and for goods to also come through for security purposes. And that small gate was called the eye of a needle. And if you came in with your, with your camel in the, in the night, you had to let your camel go on his knees and push the camel through that gate for the camel to come into the city. That, that's what Jesus was talking. He says it's easier. So he, he was using Hebrew. So you should know some of these things. If you don't know, you may read something and you wonder. For instance, an Englishman would say he has kicked the bucket. If you are translating to you, what do you say? Well, that's what you will say. But you see, it's an idiom. It's an idiomatic expression. The Englishman is trying to say that the man is dead. You see, but if someone is translating it or transliterating it, the person will say, he has boot, he has kicked, literal, but he's talking about something else. So some of these things are there. You get so God intentionally allowed for these things to be written at these times, so that we can have a language that that cannot be corrupted over the over the period of time, so that the word of God is, does not change. Please, have I have answered you? Great. Yes. What's your question, please? Please, a uh, quick one. I yes. wanted to know more about the believer's authority. Uh, I've been learning about it a bit more and I, I just wanted to know how to apply it successfully and also about the redemptive power of the blood of Jesus. Mm. Does it... Uh... These are two messages, so I tell you. <laughs> they are all on the podcast, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that the blood of Jesus... Break, it, it, it says the blood of Jesus uh, breaks the curse of uh, the law of the, the curse of the law. So, and I yeah. wanted to know whether uh, every single bad thing is included in the curse of the law. Yeah, so I mean, the, no, no other bad thing could go beyond the curse of the law because the curse of the law, the curses, it's amazing. Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight, from verse fourteen. Look at Deuteronomy twenty-eight fourteen. Maybe you should know about this. And thou shalt go no, shall not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods, to serve them. Next verse. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all the commandments and the statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. They'll come upon you and overtake you. Let's go and see the curses. Care shall thou be in the city. So when you're in the city, you are cursed. And care shall thou be in the field. When you're in, I don't know what else is worse than some of these things. So every bad thing you can think about. The curse was so much that it even talks about curse of your, not your wife leaving you and someone taking your wife. It's, it's all from boils to cancer to heart attack to depression to mental failure. Everything you can think. I mean, curse shall that be? Look at the next verse. Verse 17. So I don't know what else is outside any bad thing that is outside this, this thing. And this is what God has de- delivered us from through the cross of Christ. Care shall be the bas- thy basket and your store. Your basket is cursed. Your store, your, your account is cursed. Yes. Your basket is what you use to gather money. Your businesses are cursed. Next verse. Care shall, thou, shall be the fruit of your body. Your children are cursed. And the fruit of your land. Everything that grows on your land is cursed. The increase of your kind and the flocks of your sheep. Care shall thou be when thou comest in. And when thou goest, goest out, the Lord shall send upon you 
cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that thou settest thy hand for to do, until thou be destroyed, and until thou perish quickly, because of the wickedness of thy doings, whereby thou hast forsaken me. Hey, the Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee. Pe- you know pestilence? Pandemic. The pandemic will cleave unto you. Until you are, you has consumed you from off the land, whether thou goest to possess it. The Lord shall smite thee with a consumption. What is consumption? Cancer. Cancer. That's cancer, right? The cancer consumes you. Leprosy consumes you. And with a fever. Fever is inside. And with an inflammation, boils. And with an extreme burning, hot burning boils. Or rashes. And with a sword. And with blasting. Not bombs. Eh? But a sword that explodes. I know there are swords that explode like that. Isn't it true? Doctors. Yes. When with mildew, and they shall pursue thee until thou perish. I don't know what other bad thing can not be included in these things. Every bad thing can think about is here. And the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Look at Galatians 3, 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Glory, glory, glory. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Be made a curse for us. For it is written, curse is he, is everyone that hangs on the tree. Next verse. So that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. That is us. Through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We are blessed because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary for us. And that blessing is, is inside this cup and inside this bread. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's inside this cup and it's inside this bread. As you partake of this, you are partaking, it's called the cup of blessings. As you are partaking of the communion, you are partaking of the blessings of God that he has made available in Christ Jesus for you and I to enjoy. Every blessing you can think about, the blessing of, of love, of joy, of being loved, of having mercy, of having grace come to your life, it's inside this cup and it's inside this bread because this cup is the blood of jesus christ the bible says we should consider the cup the, the blood of jesus christ and we should consider it the body of jesus christ as well jesus's body was broken from us so that our bodies will not be broken anyway so that our bodies will not come into cancer into hypertension into fever in any way in any form god wants us to stay healthy and strong all the days of our lives and that strength is inside this bread and the forgiveness of sins is inside this cup as well it's called the cup of blessings the bank of Christ's blessings. So today you can cash in on anything. You can cash in. If you need favor, you can cash in on favor as you partake of it. If you need mercy, you can cash in on mercy as you partake of it. If you need prosperity, you can cash in on prosperity as you partake of it. If you need God to help you overcome, you can cash in on it as you partake of this communion. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you that this is blessed. It is truly sanctified. It is truly your blood indeed. And it is truly your body indeed. Thank you that as you partake of the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, we are blessed and increased even in jesus name amen god bless you for listening we pray that the word of god will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the word kindly follow pastor t and love economy church on all social networks for more of god's word don't forget to subscribe to the pastor t podcast simply search for pastor t on any podcast app plug in and enjoy god's word Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless.